I'm Tim Richard. And I'm Michelle Bolin. And you're listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. More Train, Less Pain. Man, and I just applied chopstick too. It's like we were on a roll. <laughs> I got some liquid though for the oh. for my consumption of liquids during this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I at least drink maybe a half a gallon every time we record. I like to keep my mouth moist with liquid during the podcast. <laughs> Does that sentence bother you at all? No, only only when I say it. Apparently. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Uh, this is going to be the best episode ever and we say this every episode but truly we're talking about the what pri got right the postural restoration institute and how it has influenced us throughout our careers so in today's episode tim you and i are going to discuss how pri has influenced us lines of thinking and methodology methodologies that are god man you know this morning is just a train wreck and this is what's happening. All right, I'll, I got this. I got this. Lines of thinking and methodology that has inspired us to explore more. General curiosities that uh, PRI has sparked in us. Elements that have helped inform our programming and decision making. Um, how we possibly perceived others as misapplying the information. And then possible limitations of you know, a PRI purist kind of mindset. And internet connectivity be damned. This is our third attempt at recording this introduction, but we're getting it here. Little disclaimer before we get into things. We do not represent PRI. We have no affiliation. We won't be discussing any secret course information, whatever that might be. We are merely expressing our gratitude towards how PRI has influenced our practice. We highly recommend that you take a course and jump in for yourself. Their course options are linked in the show notes. Before we get going, it's always useful to define terms. So I'm going to attempt to give like the drunk history version of, of PRI. Um, so PRI is an acronym. It stands for Postural Restoration Institute. They are based out of Lincoln, Nebraska, I believe. They were founded by Ron Haruska in, I think, the mid to late 90s, possibly the early 2000s. And if you're in either the field of physical therapy or the field of strength and conditioning, you've probably heard of the acronym. Um, in general, they are the institute that has been beating the drum for a lot of the positional breathing drills that we see in both industries. Um, this idea that there is a latent asymmetry to all human beings and that asymmetry could be problematic if not managed correctly. And is there anything else that you want to add to kind of the like synopsis of, of PRI, Michelle? So they have, you know, primary courses, which they can like kind of consider their foundational courses and then like secondary courses that kind of like layer on top of that. Some of their foundational courses include postural respiration, myokinematic restoration, pelvis restoration. And then some of like the secondary ones are like postural visual integration and impingement and stability. Um, overall, how many courses do you think you've, you've taken in PRI? Yeah, it's exactly where I wanted to take this. So I was, I was thinking about this yesterday. I, I think I took my first course as I was studying for what was called the PT comp exam. So it was like the second year of physical therapy school. It was essentially designed to prepare you for boards before you went on your final like 
two 12 week clinical rotations. If you didn't pass comp, then you didn't get to go on your like big boy rotations essentially. So it's funny. Cause I, I think I took that. Uh, it, I think I took that in 2013 and I remember taking my first PRI class the weekend before comp. So it was like, I was cramming all of this information that would literally never be on a PT board exam into my mind at the worst possible time, but it was rad. It was still like a really, really fun experience. I believe it was, um, I believe it was postural respiration, which is kind of like their thorax course. So I know I've heard it said a bunch of times that the order that you're supposed to take the introductory three courses is, is myokin postural respiration and then pelvis. I went incredibly out of order. I think I took some advanced courses before I finished like the the big three. And I, I think I've taken seven or eight courses probably from 2013 to, I believe my last one was maybe 2017. So it was like, it was pretty hot and heavy there for a while for me. Like every time I got a CEU budget for my old job, it would immediately go towards a PRI course. <laughs> Absolutely. How'd you come out of your first course? Were you just like, man, like, what the fuck was that? I remember talking to my girlfriend at the time and telling her if only 10% of what they're teaching us in this course is correct, it changes everything about how physical therapists should practice. Wow, that was very emotional and deep because I t- totally, totally agree. I, I mean, you know, I basically got kicked out of school of being like, you know, you've been here for too long, please leave. Listen, female Van Wilder, get the fuck off the campus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, damn. It's not cute to- anymore. <laughs> and then I go to these courses and I'm like, what the heck just happened? And that is completely different than everything I've been taught and 10 times more useful than anything I've been taught. Um, I think I've been like a spoiled little brat because I've taken, I think, 12, 13 courses. Um, Damn. Yeah, you know. When was your your first? What was your first? Oh, gosh. Uh, I think it was 2016 because, you know, part of being a spoiled little brat was working at Northeastern University and they took continuing education very seriously. And they had a deep connection with PRI where we hosted probably two courses per, per year. So that's two free courses per year. No and shit. Then, that That's rad. I yeah. had no idea they were like integrated into the collegiate system. Oh yeah. Um, it was okay. amazing. Um, yeah, that program was started by Art Horn, who's now the director at the Boston Celtics, but it's a very integrated system between PT, athletic training, uh, uh, sports performance. And then we also had like visitors all the time, you know, like um, Mike Mullen, Donna Bear, you know, James Anderson, you know, would just stop by here and there. And then they were like a bad 80s sitcom, (laughs) just James Anderson coming through the like peeking his head through the fucking window. (laughs) Hey, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And if you don't know who they are, these are kind of like, people deep in like a, I don't know, popular, I guess you could say in the PRI world, people who are applying the information um, and help out with the courses or, you know, actually are speakers or presenters for the courses. And then we, you know, they were also pretty generous with their continuing education budget. So during that time when I was at Northeastern, I crushed continuing education and I spent every single dollar that they gave us. And, uh, you know, that's when I would take, you know, the deeper level courses like a visual course, which was crazy. Yeah. I've heard the visual course described as like a sustained three-day acid trip. <laughs> May- maybe by you. I-, I, know, I know, I know we've talked about some similar stuff. Well, it's like, it's deep. Cause like Ron taught it when I was there 
and forgive me, but I can't remember the other person who taught it, but it's very like, like theoretical and kind of out there, you know, of like, he would say like one liners that would just be like, like your feet are your eyes. And like, you know, you're just like, Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) But then you're like, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, of course, of course, your molar is your big toe. But what yeah, do I exactly. do with that? Exactly. Oh, oh, oh. And then have people find a big toe and then crush their right molar. Oh, yeah. I don't really think that's gonna work. You know what I do? <laughs> but it was fantastic. Um, so, and also, oh, let, let's 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 just say this too. Like, we are not. So they offer certification. They offer uh, mm-hmm. PR, PRT, and PRC. So for physical therapists, they have a postural restoration certified, and then they have a, a trainer version of that. And we neither of us are either. No. So we do not. Again, like to reiterate this, we do not represent PRI. We are merely practitioners that have taken some coursework and have some thoughts, and we're going to say some words about it. Yeah. And I will say this totally upfront of like, do not go to secondary um, sources, like go directly to the source. If you want to learn about PRI, go to their courses. Do not like follow someone on Instagram who's like a PRI person and and expect to like kind of get it. There's some goofy, like, you know, Instagram wasn't really that big of a thing in 2015 or 2016. At least like, I think I got my Instagram in 2018 or something like that. Um, there's some goofy motherfuckers out there. Like there's some, and granted, like, I, I don't know context, but like, you know, people trying to lift really heavy weights in like a intentionally very flexed position or like mm-hmm. very shifted position. So I completely agree with what you just said. Cause I think if you were to talk to any of the people that you had mentioned, um, like Ron, James Anderson, Mike, Mike Cantrell, one of the best presenters I've ever heard speak. Oh my um, but any of those people, like, I don't think they would advocate for a lot of the stuff that you, you see these like alleged PRI experts on Instagram doing. So go take the courses, like go to the source material, take the thing for yourself. Yeah. And let's kick this off. But I just want to give like general overall broad scheme things about how it has influenced you. And I think for me, the big hitter is kind of like what you just said of like, it's really taught me how to take information that's kind of in a different realm, you may say, because it is very physical therapy uh, based practice. Hopefully it's right. Accurate saying that, but it's like, okay, if I'm going through all these courses, I'm taking in this information, I'm turning it into knowledge by being like, okay, how can I take the actual overall uh, excuse me, overarching concepts and in less of the specific methodologies and turn them into useful information with what I do in the weight room with the people that I'm working with at the time, it was like pretty high level athletes. So it's like, you know, of course we all go through our journey and experiences and it's a good learning of like, you know, I threw people down. We're all doing the 90-90 hip lift, right? It's like every, I feel like every trainer did that at some point. And then it's actually being over the years being like, okay, what are we trying to accomplish with these things? Who is in front of me? And how can I apply this information to the person who's in front of me and their needs specifically while also, um, turning it into fitness because I want to be very clear in that realm. And so, you know, I feel like I went through kind of a phase of school of all of my view towards like strength and conditioning was like physiology based, you know, what type of 
physiological quality am I trying to improve here? So like reps and set schemes to like improve the quality of strength, get people to lift more um, or do more volume over time. And then going through the PRI courses, it's like, oh, now I have kind of like a huge biomechanical perspective and lens. And then over time, I was able to kind of combine those two and layer them where I can now turn positions into like something that's very important to me and kind of the foundation of my exercise selection. And then I can add on top of how to, you know, get physiological qualities and adaptations while putting people in appropriate positions to get them. So again, like I'm going to play my role in this podcast, holding your feet to the fire, like concrete real world examples. Would that mean, so with the biomechanical lens, you're talking probably about something like a left hip shift or like a left pelvic orientation or like a, like a literal position of the body that you're trying to teach an athlete to acquire physiologic change. You're talking about, like you mentioned, force output, mm -hmm. potentially muscle mass, potentially like aerobic development. Yeah. Exactly. And I think a specific example, maybe the way I teach someone how to squat, you know, in grad school, I was taught, you know, sit back, put the hips out, keep your chest up, bar always goes on the back because why wouldn't it? <laughs> and then, you know, going through the PRI course, it's like, oh, they actually focus and look at like the axial skeleton, like the rib position and hip position, and then how that can influence everything else that's going on in the body. And maybe actually get people to push their physiology without sort of like going into like breaking points. And, you know, for me, a big thing was realizing <laughs> that, you know, you know, previously I was like, nothing can ever bad happen when you're lifting weights. It's only good ever, forever. And, you know, then, you know, you get into really deep biomechanics and you can see kind of how, prioritizing position probably can improve sustainability of the athletes that I was working with and kind of take away some of the nagging things that they were going through and teach them how to move weights, you know, against gravity, um, with, without having those secondary consequences. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think we can kind of lump like, um, overarching things one and two, like the influences and then the things it's, you know, the facets it's inspired us to, to explore more. Like, I think that that's huge. And I don't, it's, it's funny. It's like, I struggle with the notion of even calling that PRI. And I think back in the day, if you did any exercise where you were trying to position the pelvis under the thorax, under the head and have things be stacked, people would perceive that as PRI because it was so novel, but it's mm -hmm. like, now taking a 30,000 foot view, it's just like, that's just aligning the axial skeleton so that when you place a load on the top of it, that your compressive force is like purely vertical and not some kind of a weird shear. And it's like, it's surprising to me with like, we both have doctorate degrees. Like it took an outside institution <laughs> to get us to think about those things. Cause I know in physical therapy school, which I loved my program. It was great. But like, it was very much like whenever you load a spine, you need to maintain a lordotic curve. If you do not do that, the discs will explode. So it's a completely different <laughs> paradigm. And again, one man, one man's opinion, one professional's opinion, but like people seem to do much better with a stacked spine position than with an intentionally lordotic lumbar curvature. Well, I think, 
Yeah, I do agree with you with that kind of line of thinking has been labeled like, you know, PRI thinking. And I think you know this out of everyone of like how frustrated I get and how I do not want that label <laughs> of like a PRI person. Um, oh, you're, mostly- the, you're, the, you're the PRI trainer, right? Aren't you? <laughs> yeah, Michelle exactly. Boland from the internet, the PRI trainer. That's you. Yeah, thank you. Can you um, fix me? <laughs> can you ask me about that later? Because I'll tell you like specifically why. But my point of that was... <laughs> You know, in when I was learning how to squat, you know, the only thing that we did was a back squat. And I think that what has influenced me the greatest is the community that PRI has served because I got introduced um, to a broad number of people and trainers who took this information better than I did and applied it better than I did. And then that's, it's learning from those people of now we have like, you know, novel thoughts of novel, like positions on exercises and cues to use. And that's when like, I got exposed to, Oh, there's different ways to squat. It's not just a back squat ass out. It's what do I actually want to accomplish out of this just movement pattern. And there's a thousand ways to squat. And I think that's, you know, it's not just the course information and the amazing speakers that they have. It's really how the circle of like the community has like impacted me on how to look at exercise a bit differently. Yeah. I love that. And it's, I mean, that's such a Michelle statement. Like you're about the (laughs) You're about like the, like the meta learning and like the kind of like the meta to all of these principles, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like that, that would be your answer. And I, like, I totally agree with that. Like it, it is like, it's, it opened our way of thinking about positioning the body differently about Mm -hmm. trying to garner different adaptations or outcomes with exercises and about like using our weight room activities in a different manner, as opposed to just like, all right, everybody try to get your back squat to 315. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny because I, you know, you give me shit all the time of like, you know, how I prepare and I'm pretty structured through the, these podcasts, mostly because I lack a sense of humor, but I was going, <laughs> I was slipping through. We like- need a joke writer for Michelle. <laughs> if anyone listening is a joke writer. Please, please, please help me. Um, I was looking through some of the course manuals and it's funny the words that I have picked out because, you know, why infrasternal angle was in there. I think it was like the, I have no idea, postural restoration course menu. And then the words expansion were used multiple times. And I think those two words mean something completely different to us now. But these are the types of things that information was getting at. And especially the word expansion, they talked about apical expansion and specific areas of if you can't expand in those areas what it was kind of what pattern you basically were fitted into and for me it's like okay like if we squat the different place I hold the weight whether if it's in front of me on one side you know on my back or at my side that's allowing some sort of expansion if I pair that with respiration which I think is the overall arching kind of concept of this I can create better movement and joint range of motion. And to me, that was like, holy crap. You know what I mean? So let's, I, I, I feel like I need to say this because I didn't do my job fully when I was giving the drunk history version of PRI. Their whole shtick is 
there's two things. One is that human beings are inherently asymmetrical. They mm-hmm. reference that we have a liver on the right side that pushes up the diaphragm on that side. And they reference having three lobes to the left lung, two to the right. And because of that internal asymmetry, I also think they mentioned a dominant left motor cortex, making it easier to acquire uh, like movements and positions on the right side of the body. Like those are the three that come to mind. So because of the confluence of all of these things, human beings will have a tendency to center their mass over the right leg. And then so that the right hemi pelvis will be back in space. So you'll be kind of like, like on your right heel and then your head, neck and shoulders will count will counter back to the left. And they term this the left AIC right BC pattern. I believe AIC chance stands for anterior inferior chain mm-hmm. and BC is brachial chain. So these are like, these are polyarticular chains of muscles. I think polyarticular articular just refers to like they they compromise sequences of joints, but they all fire together. So that's pattern one is that everybody's like a right stance individual. And then pattern two is this posterior exterior chain. And again, like I could be getting those acronyms wrong, but essentially that's the chain of muscles that would propel us forward in space. And mm-hmm. that would be like think about like hip flexors, back and neck musculature. It's the, I've heard James Anderson described as like the kangaroo chain. Like it, it's what would be active if you were trying to like jump very like high or jump very far. So like their whole shtick is like, there are these, there are these patterns inherent to human beings that if they are left kind of unchecked or if they're dealt with in a particular way could lead to problems. Would you, would you agree with those statements? Kim, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. That's a lie. <laughs> yeah, that is 100% accurate. And would you also say that like this right-oriented left AIC pattern is, is basically how all humans are positioned? It's just the degree in which we are pulled kind of into that pattern. Yeah, for, from what I've seen, yeah. Um, I think the case that the PRI folk will commonly reference is if you literally have like organ inversion, which is more common than you think. It's like one out of every thousand or 10,000. It has some crazy Latin name like organ in in situ inversus or something. And in that case that you'll be pulled to the opposite direction. But like it's, it's a result of the shit that's just happening in your body is going to bias you into certain positions on the right leg, certain positions on the left leg, um, I'm not going to say all of the time, but but most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just kind of reiterating that because going back to, you know, why I don't really want that that label on me is like I do get a lot of people who message me wanting to fix a certain pattern that they have kind of been labeled throughout this system. Um, such as, oh, can you help me fix my left AIC pattern? Oh, like, are you experiencing any pain? No. Oh, then what's going on here? Like, that's not, I always kind of refer them out, like basically send them to another trainer or try to make it very, very clear about the services that I provide. And let's, let's make it clear to the listener that, okay, so let's, so let's say you're a human being and you demonstrate this pattern. That's normal. It's Mm -hmm. not pathological. Like this, this right mid stance position is the position that a normal human being would be in when they're walking and their weight is on their right foot and their left foot is swinging forward. It's not this 
totally pathologic. Like I feel like Yonda's lower crossed syndrome gets the same kind of rap where it's like, mm-hmm. oh no, no, no. Now like the whole human organism is tugged into this misalignment. Like, and I and I think the PRI folk would agree with me on this. Like a left AIC right BC is the position that you would like to see in right mid stance. It is a normal right mid stance position. Mm-hmm. The problem only arises, and I credit Lance Goyke for this saying, when right mid stance becomes 90% of your gait. Yes, that's fantastic. And it, what, what, what's useful about these patterns is that they, you know, one thing is, you know, big thing from them is, you know, test, intervene, retest. That was a huge concept of them. And it's extremely important for everything that we do, no matter what field that you're in. But it's basically like, okay, you're experiencing some side of pain or movement restriction. Let's do some tests on you, specifically like joint range of motion tests. Um, And using those patterns to make decisions about interventions and then retest to see if you have made a difference throughout that pattern. Would that be correct? Yeah. And I think this is a nice segue or not a segue, kind of like a, you know, little, little off the beaten path, like a little tangent. Um, I would agree with everything that you just said. PRI was the first school of thought that got me thinking that limited hip internal rotation might not be a femur on acetabulum issue. That limited shoulder internal rotation might not be a humerus on glenoid issue. So these table tests kind of backtracking two steps, these, you're, these, let's say you are quote unquote stuck in a pattern or you're just mm-hmm. right mid stance dominant. What PRI advocates then is, or what they teach is that if you were to lay down that person on a table, they would have predictable limitations in certain ranges of motion. Um, like left, left straight leg raise, left hip internal rotation, right shoulder internal rotation come to mind as, as common ones. So it's an appreciation that these table tests are no longer testing the thing that it's very obvious that they seem like they're testing. Mm -hmm. And this is where it departs from a system like FMS and SFMA, where they would advocate breaking down multi-body rotation. And then if you're left with like limited um, femur on acetabulum internal rotation, then the intervention is teaching the femur to move on the acetabulum. What PRI would advocate, and again, not a PRI expert, is that the limitation in hip range of motion is not caused by an inability of the femur to excurs on the acetabulum, but by the starting position of the acetabulum to begin with. And I think for me, that was a huge light bulb moment and Mm -hmm. something that I've carried well beyond the bounds of PRI at this point in time. Like the notion that limited hip internal rotation is not simply just like a tight hip capsule or the a limitation in the ability of the femur to move in the acetabulum. It could be a, the starting position of the acetabulum. It could be the amount of muscular compression occurring on the front and back of the acetabulum. It could be that the muscles that would typically externally rotate the femur are in a concentric orientation because of training habits. It could be that a person was born with a retroverted acid. Like it could be all of these things. So for me clinically, it really emphasized that I need to be thinking deeper and more critically about why that limitation is there and take a broader scope when I think about how to intervene on that if I deem it problematic. That's amazing. Yes, I agree with that. I think that touches on a few like major points of, you know, PRI that I think is, is, is inspired us to explore more. One would be, I think you referred 
to this on another podcast of like, you know, putting th- people through these end range of motion positions and stretching and mobility drills, you, you can see a greater joint range of motion, but that may not necessarily provide them with the best result possible, right? So maybe like this made us think a lot about, you know, questioning maybe some of those types of activities, would you say? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to, and I, I really like what the people at FMS, SFMA have done. Like I, I really love what Gray Cook has done for the industry. Like thinking about movements and patterns over muscles, but no, but like, that's just, that's just a separate thing. Like when I'm talking to colleagues that have never ingested this information and they complain about their inability to improve hip internal rotation despite doing all the posterior glides to the hip in the world Mm -hmm. it's it seems so simple to me now knowing what i know it's like all right well their their pelvis isn't in a good position to have a femur internally rotate on it like that's not the easiest domino to topple like start to look axially, start to look at at the orientation of the acetabulum, the shape of the pelvis, because that's going to tell you like way, way more. And I mean, now probably 90% of what I do in clinical practice is just trying to get the pelvis or the rib cage in a different position before I ever think about like mobilizing a shoulder or mobilizing a hip. I know that didn't answer the question that you asked, but but I felt it was something important to say. (laughs) We'll be back to the show after this quick message. FMS, FRC, PRI, AED, NSFW, the world, specifically the industries of physical therapy and strength conditioning, is filled with confusing acronyms, certifications, and jargon. If you find that you've taken a metric shitload of these types of courses, but have no ability to carry the information over into your practice, you don't need more information. You need a mentor, someone to act as a sounding board someone to guide you towards putting seemingly disparate parts of the movement and health puzzle together, someone to help you develop your own model that you can immediately put into action. While I certainly don't claim to know everything, I'm happy to serve in that role. My one-on-one mentorship calls are 60 minutes and will leave you with a clearer, more confident idea of how to best leverage what you already know in order to best help the next client that walks through your door. Stop collecting piles of three ring binders and start taking a more active role in your professional development. Find out more by going to timrichart.com slash services. And now back to the show. <laughs> I love that. So there's four big things for me that PRI has really changed. We've kind of touched a little bit, but the difference between orientation and rotation. So I can be oriented to the right, which is going to limit my rotation to the right. And then relative motion. So you kind of touched on this a little bit of like an acetabulum moving over a femur and a femur moving in an acetabulum. Yeah. And would you, to go back, uh, orientation, something kind of like wholesale being pointed in a direction, mm-hmm. rotation. Would you agree that like, so for me, rotation and relative motion are sort of synonymous. Like when I think about the ability to rotate cleanly, at least in the model that you and I, like the dominant model that you and I sort of practice under right now, Mm -hmm. it would be an expression of like, okay, now we have a femur moving on an acetabulum, a ilium moving on a sacrum, each segment of the vertebrae moving relative to one another, 
rib cage moving relative to the thoracic spine, scapula moving relative to the, mm -hmm. like it's an appreciation that all of these links in the chain of rotation would happen. Cause mm -hmm. if they don't, then you're just going to orient shit in that direction and you're not expressing motion. That's again, beautiful, elegant expression motion. I mean, come on, you can't even make this stuff up. I just did. <laughs> the other thing is the pretty simple one of like understanding what position means and then like repositioning. So like, you know, range of motion tests provide kind of proxy information to how bony structured are kind of in a position. And then, you know, we can turn muscles on. And this is kind of the uh, fourth point of like how to seriously isolate a muscle based on like um, you know, passive or active position that you put someone in and then create a change in how that, that bone is basically sitting. Yeah, it's, and I think this goes to one of the primary takeaways that I had, which is this notion that all muscles are triplanar all of the time. Hmm. So it's like, let's pick a muscle to pick on like the right glute max. So like glute max does extension, external rotation, abduction. So in order to get that muscle in end range concentric orientation, the femur on the acetabulum has to be in relative flexion, abduction, external rotation, meaning that where was I, where was I going with, with this point? Just the, the, movement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the, and if you don't have those relative motions available from the femur to the acetabulum, you're never going to be able to like, quote unquote, isolate a muscle or, or like shorten it in a triplanar fashion. So I think for both Michelle and I, the one of the huge things was like appreciating that every muscle, even the ones that have fairly linear orientations, according to what Bill Hartman calls dead guy anatomy is triplanar. Like every muscle will have an action in the sagittal frontal and transverse planes. And that's a huge paradigm shift from at least what, what I was taught in undergrad and PT school, where it's like glute med is a frontal plane muscle. Glute max is a sagittal muscle. Abs are a sagittal muscle. In mm -hmm. If you can correct me if I'm wrong, like PRI kind of went into different fibers within a specific muscle having different actions. Yeah. And going Which back to the right glute max, yeah. I, I think it's like, like superior glute max will be more transverse orientation, external rotation dominant, inferior glute max will be more extension dominant. I think I just sat there the entire time with my jaw down descended and then my uh, pupils dilated but a big paradigm shift for me too and i get this a lot of like hey does that exercise get a lot of get all just quad is that exercise get you know hamstring and it's just like it depends now because like in grad school i was talked about you know this exercise will hit these muscles this exercise will hit these muscles and it's like okay well now like it just depends because if you put people in certain positions, you can actually maximize how you target that muscle. Um, Cause like now function of the muscle is dictated by the position in which it kind of sits. I mean, it could sit in a lengthened position, right? So here's, but here's my clinical note there. And this mm -hmm. is something I've only come to appreciate going through some of Gary Ward's stuff recently with the anatomy and motion courses online that 
within the PRI model, there's a bias towards getting things to be concentric in order to feel them. Yes. So like if we're going to feel a right glute max, we want the hip to be an extension, abduction, externally ro external rotation. Muscles are not loaded when they are in a fully concentric position. They realize a fully concentric position after experiencing a triplanar lengthening. So, and, and, and this sort of gets to like, you know, now where I might start to depart from some of these PRI concepts mm -hmm. while keeping them PRI informed. Like if I'm going to load a glute max and get a person to feel that, I think now what I would like to do is put their hip in a position of flexion, adduction, internal rotation. Love that. And, and I think this goes back to, this is basically coming because like now we're going to kind of transition and maybe how this information is misapplied. And to me, that's kind of like the, the famous Dr. Pat Davison quote of like, uh, and maybe he took this from someone else. Uh, state troopers can speed on the highway. It's basically like you have to know the rules first to be able to break them. And it's like, you can understand that and then be basically think through it right? And see how those rules may apply differently. Yeah. And just to kind of wrap up like what the first half of this discussion will be, you sort of outline your four, four ways that PRI inspired you to think differently about movement. Mm -hmm. Just going quickly through mine, we talked about inherent asymmetry. We talked about um, human beings to like human beings predisposition to extend or overextend in order to produce power. That's that PEC pattern. Mm -hmm. We talked about PRI's emphasis on respiration and how different phases of respiration will, will lead to certain muscles being long, certain muscles being short, and joints being in different position. And if we didn't, we might want to touch on that a little bit more before going into misapplications. And then I mentioned this, but like just viewing everything through a gait type lens or respiration type lens. So when you look at the the primary action that human beings do it's walk. So like we're, we're really only designed for, for walking and for breathing. Like I, I would argue those are like, like the shape of the organism is really that. And then all the other cool shit that we can do is just sort of secondary or tertiary. So when you appreciate that this left AIC thing is just right mid stance, you can start to look at weight room activities like a, Oh, let's say like a right leg Camperini deadlift and say like, all right, that would be right mid stance. And then you could look at other activities like a left foot, front foot elevated split squat with a goblet hold. And you could identify like, all right, that would be aspects of like late early stance. Or if you shifted into that hip, now, now it's getting like the transition between left early and left mid stance. And for me, that's a really, really useful lens because it completely does away with this notion that like people just find themselves in bad positions for no reason. Like this is the classic, my hip flexors are always tight. Like mm -hmm. they're not like, yeah, they are because they're trying to keep you upright against gravity. Like it's the only way that your body knows how to do this. So it's living in trying to think here either you know late late propulsive stance or swing phase all the time because you haven't given it enough exposure to these mid stance positions like it, your body is doing what it needs to do and hip flexors being toned up or tight is a totally normal hallmark of the phase of gait that you are dominant in mm -hmm. 
And just to go back, the Camperini deadlift is a front-to-back staggered stance deadlift where you're heavy on the back heel, you have a contralateral reach with the weight, and you're performing a basically hip pinch. Just want to make that clear with with people. So, but like, the, so the, those are my big things that like before mm-hmm. my ex, before my foray into this stuff, it's like I didn't think about people being inhalation or exhalation dominant. I didn't think about people being late stance or swing or mid stance dominant. And those are huge because it doesn't matter if you're a physical therapist, a trainer or a strength coach, the people that you interact with most of the time they all walk and all of the time they all breathe. So these are, these are variables that you can play with, with your exercise selection and your program design to attempt to give that human being access to what they don't currently have access to, Mm. as opposed to just saying like, you are tight hip flexors. Here is hip flexor stretch. Like it provides this just glorious overarching context of like, they don't have tight hip flexors. They just never get into mid stance. Let's give them mid stance. Yeah. And and for me, you know, I was, I was in grad school to be a strength conditioning coach and I was basically leaving grad school, my master's program being like, I don't, have any desire whatsoever to be a strength and conditioning coach until, you know, I got exposed to, I did an internship at Northeastern university, which is where I then started working at years later. Um, And they did a lot of this type of information and, you know, taught us a bunch of stuff as interns and it intrigued me. Then I went back, Dr. Pat Davison was kind of going to these courses and started teaching this information. And then I realized that I didn't, have any sort of movement lens. All I kind of saw things through was categories such as loading schemes and reps and set schemes to get people to stronger. And that was really it. And that is something that I didn't really connect with too well in terms of, um, you know, depth or something that I really wanted to pursue. And then when it turned into, oh, I can see things through phases of gait. I can see things through change of direction, which can be greatly applied to, you know, on-field performance. I could see things through, oh, like you, for example, I have type hip flexors. Oh, why might that be? Why may that be a limitation or barrier towards exercise or improve performance. And I now have the skills and ability to remove some of those limitations and barriers. And that is actually probably a better skill to have than just more loading in terms of improved performance. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with any of that more. It's like it, it almost reminds me of like personally where I am with performance running now, like to, to put aside the, you know, the various surgeries and injuries I've had. It's like, it's not that interesting to me anymore to take my mile time from 440 to 425. Like, I don't know what that does short of the mile time. So it's like, it's not that interesting to me to study mm-hmm. really hard about like learning German volume training to increase my client's back squat from 375 to 430. Like, because I don't know what that'll actually do to the things that they care about versus exactly what you just said, where it's like, I can't pick up my kid because my left back just feels like it's on all the fucking time. It's like, Mm -hmm. you're not going to deadlift your way out of that situation. You need a lens to 
attempt to label or categorize what that person is sort of stuck in, what that person's doing most of the time, and then just give them body positions that aren't that. And that's going to be so, so much more tremendously impactful on the lives of your people. I think, yeah, one of the problems too is, I don't know if you had this, but in the strength and conditioning realm, a lot of the education came to, uh, from training elite level athletes where like, you know, improved mile times or whatever was what you were actually trying to do. Or, you know, the foundation of strength and conditioning is a lot from powerlifting, whereas like improving a back squat is exactly what a powerlifter needs to do. Um, but that does not apply to 99% of the people that you're actually going to be coaching <laughs> in the future. And being exposed to this type of information made me realize, you know, I can have a m- much greater impact, and especially in the private setting. Um, no one really cares about how much they can squat. They, they care about getting rid of their low back pain while probably losing some weight. Yeah. And I, th- and e- even if you are just a person that like wants to get people stronger and more muscle mass, understanding phases of respiration and understanding phases of gait and understanding how the exercises that you're selecting fit into each of those models will yield better results. Like it will let you load musculature more effectively. It will let your people handle increased training loads more resiliently, be more adaptable, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, my previous lens, I guess I told you it was from um, a physiology lens, right? And when I walked into postural respiration course, and they basically made direct connections between respiration and rib cage mechanics and pelvis mechanics, leading towards changes in physiology, changes in your blood, in your muscle physiology. And to me, that was if they didn't make that connection, it would have been hard for me to do so probably in some aspects. Um, but it, one, it made me upset for my academic education of like, how come I, I couldn't make this connection or they didn't make it for me. But then, then I was like, okay, this is, this is serious and this can be a huge game changer. So, and again, just to give people a very mm-hmm. concrete idea of what we're talking about. So very specific example if you have a situation in which the pelvis is anteriorly oriented and the thorax is sitting anterior of the pelvis, so your classic like Kim Kardashian increased lumbar lordosis, <laughs> right? That would be a common late stance or swing position. That would be muscles on the backside of your body being concentric and short, muscles on the front side being eccentric and long. It would be an ability to expand the anterior chest wall and an inability to expand the posterior chest wall. Mm. It is a, that would be the normal position of like a late stance mechanic or a swing mechanic, early swing mechanic during gait. And that's fine until the person can't reverse that. And then it leads to this hope that this whole host of physiologic consequences that Michelle was talking about, where it's like, then you can't effectively exchange CO2 and O2. You can't effectively expand certain areas so you can never access certain hip and shoulder ranges of motion. Mm -hmm. But the position itself is not bad. It's just the inability to leave that position. Mm -hmm. And then maybe addressing their squat position as like a goblet squat front hold elbows forward a bit to create that expansion posteriorly, tucking the hips underneath them, stacking head ribcage, pelvis, and then getting them to move straight up and straight down through space. 
Yeah, which which is again like viewing things through a respiration lens. In that case, you're taking certain parts of their body that are in an over inhaled state and you're superimposing aspects of exhalation, right? Um. To the, like to the anterior chest wall specifically, or mm-hmm. like anterior thorax, I think would be more technically correct. Um, you're taking elements of early swing and late stance and imposing elements of early mid stance there. So it's like, you know, and, and that's all just by putting the weight anteriorly to allow them to expand posteriorly, which is what we would see in these earlier phases of gait. Yes. And allowing them more movement options potentially. And then also you can see these things through, you know, we'll talk about uh, change of direction. So if this is an athlete, right, that position potentially would allow them to load into a cut. That, uh, that, that position, meaning like a more quote unquote neutral, like, like leaving that extended position. Correct? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, teaching people these things can help them improve skills and abilities that they need to be able to express on the field as well. Yeah. And I love, you know, again, like brief corollary, brief tangent, and you can link to Bill Hartman in the show notes, but like he talks a lot about coming into a cut or going out of a cut Mm -hmm. as sort of like a fundamental human behavior and human pattern. So it's like in that model, people might get stuck going into a cut on their right leg and have difficulty coming out of the cut on their right leg. And they'd get stuck coming out of the cut on their left leg and have difficulty going into the cut on the left leg. Mm-hmm. And it's cool because then you can start to see some some degree of agreement between these somewhat different models, but they all are attempting to categorize these like body-wide positions that oftentimes humans lose the ability to acquire. Yes, absolutely. And basically, overall for me, it has completely changed the way I view how to exercise and my choices towards the types of exercises that I choose for people, but it's not necessarily like I fall into this PRI system and I'm only using their methodologies to make decisions for the people that I work with. It is taking these huge overarching concepts and applying them to the people who are in front of me into fitness exercises. Um, So that's, that's been a huge, huge change for me. And so one concrete example of that for you would be like taking something like a barbell back squat and making it more anteriorly loaded. Yeah, that'd be, you know, a perfect, super easy example. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I think that gives us a really nice segue into probably part two of of this discussion. Do you want to give us a little brief overview? Yeah. So what type of things do you possibly see? And of course, this is all very like personal opinion based of maybe how this information is misapplied, or maybe if you consider yourself, you know, a purist mindset where you kind of have taken this system and making, make, made it like everything that you do. You use the algorithm step-by-step, you use the labeling step, like labeling in terms of patterns, um, step by step. So what maybe how how could that possibly limit your lens of physical therapy and in, in my point of view, maybe fitness? Yeah, I think I think that's that's a really good jumping off point. And before we get into any of these specific points, it's like I'm going to state the assumption that I believe these PRI purists are making. So by way of example, point number one that 
everybody is patterned and everybody needs training to be able to leave that pattern. So what this was, so put, put differently, that would be that everybody is stuck in some combination of overextension and right mid stance. And so that everybody needs activities to drive the opposite of those things, which would be flexion and or exhalation or left mid stance, right swing. And that could get really problematic because, and I've seen this applied more from trainers than physical therapists, but you start to see training sessions that just look like rehab activities that are no longer trying to generate physiologic adaptations and changes to skeletal muscle, mitochondrial density, capillary density, things that we actually know to be affected by training. So put succinctly, one of my major issues with people that very intently practice PRI is it seems like they are overemphasizing getting people out of a pattern and underemphasizing the general beneficial effects of strength and aerobic training. Cool. And would you say that in general, that's like maybe misinterpreting the term neutral versus like sagittal plane competency? Yeah, I think that I, I, I was hoping that we would kind of bring that up. So it's like the holy grail of uh, PRI treatment methodology, at least in my mind, when I was really taking a lot of the courses, is this concept of neutrality, where you lay on a table and all of your joint ranges of motion are fairly symmetrical. And what that's taken to mean is that you are no longer stuck in right mid stance and you now have the ability to go into left mid stance. And I've heard people that teach for PRI say the phrase over and over and over that neutral is just the starting point, which I would agree with in theory, like get a person as much joint range of motion as possible and then train them. The issue is that there are a whole host of influences at play that probably make it so that no human being is ever 100% truly neutral. Mm -hmm. And then you're left with what the fuck to do with that? Like, do you continue to pursue low level positional respiration to get the last 10% of, I'm making air quotes here, neutrality? Or do you actually start to fucking get after it in the gym and cause beneficial training adaptation? Yeah, like for, you know, especially with people with high level training ages, like, like, obviously myself, high level training age, but it's like, are you going to sit there for an hour and trying to get my um, shoulder IR back? I'm, I'm sorry, but like after an hour, that's literally not going to happen. But I'm not experiencing currently any pain or restrictions in, in, in fitness. And so like, are you going to take basically my fitness away and try to restore these things? Or it's kind of like being clear about what your, your goal is for you. If someone's coming to you with pain, you now have a lens to which all your, your goal is to take away that symptom, provide them with movement strategies, right? Someone's coming to me. I make it very, very, very clear. The services I provide, like, yeah, you're I provide- a PRI trainer. <laughs> fitness services right so it's like if, if you're not experiencing any pain like let's go we will be back after this quick message are you going to courses seminars and online mentorships 
but still aren't confident about what assessments to use or how to build out your training programs, the Strategy Course Group Classroom is an eight-week process designed to problem-solve, strategize, and organize your values into a flexible training system that will create efficiency for you and results for your clients. The next group starts May 3rd, 2021. Don't want to wait? There is a strategy complete coaching course fully online option as well. I guarantee this will be the best educational investment you will make. If you don't think so, head over to michellebolin-training.com to see what people are saying. And now back to the show. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be laying you on the floor. Like my movement assessment is going to be watching you do a, a split squat. You know? Yeah, I, I, I love that. And to go back into my silo as a physical therapist, there are things that are outside of what I was taught in the PRI model that would have a dramatic influence on joint ranges of motion that would prevent you from ever recapturing what textbook normal ranges of motion are. By way of example, the, the shape of my pelvis is such that I will always be biased into a little bit more external rotation and never really have full internal rotation. So according to like a pure PRI model, I'm never requiring left mid stance, which may or may not be true, but like I'm never going to get 35 degrees of left, left hip internal rotation because neither of my hips have ever internally rotated more than 10 or 15 degrees. So it's appreciating that there, there's going to be just a number of influences to table tests and mm -hmm. passive joint range of motion. Some major ones too, were like, like, you know, you mentioned uh, heightened training age and I don't know if our listeners know this, but Michelle's training age is 175. <laughs> At least. Um, but, but like really like getting the fuck after it in the gym is going to mean that certain areas of your body get really tense, tight, and compressed. And those are going to predictably limit joint ranges of motion. And that just sort of is what it is. Um, it's not going to be something that's going to be easily reversed via low level breathing exercises. And to go back to my, what I was saying before, like just pure anthropometry of certain individuals means that they're, they're never going to acquire full hip internal rotation, shoulder internal rotation, as much overall trunk rotation as the next person, you know, might, might demonstrate. Absolutely. And I think I took a quote out of, um, my notes from the course and this basically says it all is, uh, Jennifer Poulin, I, th I think I apologize if I say her last name wrong. Poulin? She's a speaker. Poulin, yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> if there's a problem, you need to figure it out, but don't create a problem. And, and that's kind of like this, that's a huge misapplication of this information. It's like, use the information. Oh, I think it was Lee Taft has like one of the favorite, my favorite quotes that I ever heard. And I'm going to butcher it right now because I can't remember because I feel pressured. Um, I think it's like, the best thing you can do is know when to use your knowledge or something like that. It's basically like know like, when to shut up. Yeah. And know yeah. when it actually applies and it's useful. Don't just be like, Oh, I know this. So I'm just going to do it kind of a thing. And it's like, yeah, you may see this kind of pattern and movement, but it's like, you don't need to create a problem. Um, Lee Taft also has one of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard. And this was indirectly through a student of his, but something to the effect of make the thing look like you want it to look. Mm -hmm. 
which I love. Like, are, are you trying to make the squat look more squatty? Well, just fucking make it look more squatty, like tinker and yeah. make the thing look like whatever is in your mind. And that's probably going to help that individual. 100%. Yeah. It just goes back to ba- like coach the person, but use this information to kind of improve your cues, right. Or maybe add respiration to the thing. And that could probably really help that movement a lot better. So to, to succinctly cap that point, And I think you're going to agree hundred percent with the center with the sentence. Neutrality is not a fucking training goal. Yeah. Like neutrality is not a thing that you want to pursue as a long-term fitness endeavor. And if someone comes to me and says, that is my fitness goal, I say, hey, I'm sorry, this really isn't going to, this isn't going to work out. Yeah. And look, I mean, personally and professionally, I would say that I want an individual to have enough neutrality, enough movement variance that they don't hurt. And they can get into the positions that they need to for the activities that they want to participate in. 100%. And that is different than perfect table tests before we even start to train. Yes, 100%. I'm just going to mention one brief, quick little point here. And this is kind of more so relating to less of the information that is being provided in terms of biomechanics and more towards how you speak to other human beings. Love like, it. <laughs> do not, one like create a communication barrier between other practitioners and yourself or clients and yourself. You need to be able to speak on the level of understanding of the person who is in front of you. If you say or label people as a left AIC, hey, like you're a left AIC, BIC, like you might as well just, you know, go out back. Or like people came up to me and are like, oh, you're a superior T4. Cool, dude. Like, you know, if I didn't have this kind of F you attitude and like I took that or if I was someone who was like, oh, my God, like something is wrong with me. I need to fix this. Like you are creating a problem when there is not a problem. That is my biggest pet peeve with kind of all this stuff. And one of my biggest principles is reduce fear. And some people that come to see me have a fear because someone basically used descriptive labeling or diagnostic terminology with them. And now you have created a fear in them towards movement and towards basically everything that they do. And now I need to basically fix that problem through language. And to me, that is a huge pet peeve of mine. And then the other one. In, I'm yeah, just going to say in, 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 in lieu of an actual introduction to this episode, cut that 90 seconds and make it that because that might be the most important thing either one of us has said. Okay, I'll, I'll crush that down. The other one is using the system, which kind of may be the same thing as what I said before. It's like using the system as a rationale for your decisions solely. So basically saying to your clients, because it's going to create a communication barrier. And trust me, I'm not just making this shit up. This is common practice to me of saying, oh, you know, we're going to use PRI today. And then if I was basically just like a, a general population client, I came in, I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And what does it have to do with any sort of the goals that I have? And saying, oh, you're a left BIC pattern. We're going to put you in this position, do this PRI exercise. Um, uh, again, okay. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. See, I'm starting to say the F word now. Now I'm serious. 
She's on her soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) She's only, she's only five foot five on the soapbox. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you came in here with left hip pain. This is a position that I think that we can target this muscle and we can maybe restore some range of motion in that hip, which I think would accomplish the goal that we're setting up to go. It's really not that difficult. And again, it's creating problems. It makes me think of like the old school. I used to have patients come in with like a WebMD handout of like, well, doc, I've got anterior pelvic tilt. Like I, you know, I think it's fatal. Yeah. And, and I'd have to like back them up six steps to just be like, your pelvis should anteriorly tilt some of the time. Like this is not a pathologic condition. You don't need a pelvis transplant. And this is not a permanent unchanging fact of your life. Yeah. I absolutely love, like I, it just, yeah. Going to those courses was always like a net positive experience, but I've been told the same thing. Like, Oh, superior T4. Like, how are you even getting out of bed in the morning? You need to go get your jaw reconstructed. Dude. But (laughs) here, here's the thing. It's like, if, okay, people are losing sight that they should be client sent client centered. Right. And there's a lot more to a person than their, their pattern, quote unquote, and I'm using my hands very aggressively that they're stuck in They're like, you need to be able to speak to someone there's fitness goals, there's movement goals. That's just one piece of the puzzle. So if you are basically using that as a rationale for your decisions, one system or using the language that they're not familiar with, you are not client centered anymore. You're not seeing the person who is in front of you. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it's the equivalent of like intellectual masturbation. Yes. Like you are saying complex things to make yourself feel good about being able to say complex things. Yes. 100%. Or like if you're following a trainer or PT online and they're doing these table tests and you're like, okay, well then I should probably be doing a table test. It's like, if that information doesn't mean anything to you, if you're not going to use that information, then don't do it. Like, you know, being able to say like, you know, being able to take that information and, and use it correctly is a huge thing. And I've, I've talked to good friends of mine that work in professional sports and it's like, they will have horror stories about athletes that they work with being prescribed six incredibly complicated true PRI exercises. Mm-hmm. But then those people don't even know like how to breathe fully or like what a stacked position is like these just fundamentals, these rudiments of basic human movement and position. And -hmm. it's like, when I think back to how that would happen again, it's like, it's, it's intellectual masturbation. It's like, it's like, oh, I solved this, this crazy superior T4 issue via Mm -hmm. acquiring a left anterior glute med and right low trap. Like, did you like, (laughs) did it like, did it make a difference? Susie doesn't think so. (laughs) <laughs> like Susie's still in pain, even though she's paying you $170. And session. she's not going home and doing those exercises or remotely doing them appropriately. It turns out she likes to come in because you like to see pictures of her cat. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, PRI has completely changed my <laughs> perspective as a strength conditioning coach. I greatly express gratitude from being exposed to this type of information and the people who are who I've come to know through this type of information. So on a positive note ending here. 
Yes, Jason, I, thank I, you. I, 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 com- I completely agree. Talk about abrupt transitions and terrible <laughs> segues. Both of us on our soapboxes, like all piss and vinegar. No, it really like it. If it were not for PRI, I would not be thinking about gait. I would not mm-hmm. be thinking about respiration. I would have no real answers as to my as to why my body did the things that it did over the past 10 years over like why I had the areas of pain. Um tremendous positive influence that just has to be appreciated in context and not taken as the be all end all, which it itself has never advertised itself to be. 100%. And, you know, if you're interested in this type of information, again, go to a course, make that investment for yourself. And also shoot myself or Tim a DM and let us know what you uh, think about all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, until then, um, I just hope that everyone can shift out of their right hips because I, you know, I just, I just don't know what they're going to do if they cannot shift out of their right hips. We are such sarcastic dicks. It's like, we are, <laughs> but I, I love it. I think it's so funny. <laughs> it's fantastic. But I hope this episode was great. Uh, unfortunately, I thought we could go on for like two hours with this, but I'm like looking at the clock right now and being like, shit, we did not even like talk. A few minutes we did not even talk about vision or dental or teeth. And that could be a whole different thing. Perhaps we'll save that for a part two, but if you're still listening, I sincerely thank you for listening. This was one of my favorite episodes to record. Absolutely. I hope we can do this again. Cause I'm, I'm really want to, I'm curious about hearing from people and seeing what their experiences were. And you know, mentioning about like some of the stuff we talked about. Cool. All right. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the More Train, Less Pain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more positive reviews we get, the easier it becomes for fine movement professionals like you to find us, and the more time Michelle and I can devote to bringing on high-caliber guests and continuing to produce a high-quality show. If you're still listening, that means you're pretty cool, and that likely means your friends are pretty cool, too. We'd love for them to become fans of the show. Spread the injury prevention love and the biomechanical knowledge by sharing a screenshot of your favorite episode on Instagram. Be sure to tag at Dr. Michelle Bolin and at Tim Richard DPT when you do. Now get out there and go train.